And what this does, this gift that we have, everything that God has given us is to make us like him. I don't know if you know that or not. Whatever the Lord has given to us is to make us like him. And so when God gives us this gift of dialogue and this gift of communication, it is to make us like him. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, come on, God created. That's right. Help me out, man. That's good. I love it. Let's say it together. That's a good deal. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And everybody say this. Then God said. This is a very deep theological statement. Genesis 1, you could spend a very large amount of time studying what Genesis 1, 1 actually means. What chapter 1 in Genesis means. What God does here is he creates an alternate uh, arena. He lives in eternity. What he's doing here is he's creating an alternate world. He's creating time and space. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the heavens, which is the space of time in which we live. And then he put the earth into that sphere of time. And it was, there was no form and there was nothing. It was formless and it was void. So God created physical elements. He not only created the physical world and shifted it from the eternal world. This is a very important theological concept to understand there are two worlds, okay? We have the world of the spirit and the eternal, and we have the world of time and space, which is the temporal. Very important. Understand that. God created this world in which we live, and there's a whole bunch of stuff I'm not going to get into off of that, but he created it formless and void, and he shaped it with what he said. You understand that? He shaped this world with his word. He shaped this word with what came out of his mouth. Says, and then God said, so words are very important. Words make us like our creator. God creates this sphere of time. He measures it. He divides it. He says it, he, he divides the light from the darkness. So he creates not just time and space, but he creates arenas within the arena. So he creates the arena of time and space. Then he divides it into different arenas of day and night. And then he spins it and divides it into, into segments of time. The evening and the morning were the first day. So not only does he create the arena, he divides the arena and he segments the arena and then he speaks into it and causes it to shape. So words are very important. Number two, words create. Everybody say that with me. Words, words. Create. create. Proverbs 18.21 says this. We'll say this together. This is important. This is a verse that we should probably reinforce into our hearts. Say this with me. Death, Death. Are, and life are in the power of the tongue. Whoa. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So what the Bible is telling us here is that our words, like our creator, create. Our words, like our creator, shape our world, shape time and space. They shape your arenas of influence. And if you want to really get down on it and you really want to understand the mysteries of the gospel, they actually shape the world around us prophetically. The prophetic declarations that we speak actually have an effect and actually shift things. 
but not only so we can look at it on a very base level and we can understand it to be that the way we talk to people and the way we don't talk to people, our methods of communication, our failure to communicate affect our relationships. So we can look at it on that scale and we can understand that, that life and death is in the power of the tongue. And it says if we understand this, this is Proverbs 18.21, you can jump to the next slide. Who's on my slides? Oh, there we go. Thank you. Awesome. I keep looking up there and I'm getting lost. I'm like, wait a second. Whoa, whoa. Words. <laughs> Those who understand this will love it and eat its fruit. So if you understand that the words you, you say matter, if you understand that the words you say create, you will eat the fruit of, it, of what you say. Faith-filled words activate spiritual realities. Just the truth, just the fact. Power operates according to his law and according to his way. So not only does our words affect the people that we associate with, the things you say, the things you don't say, is gonna affect your relationships. Can we agree with that? Anybody ever blessed someone? and felt like they're closer to that person now and now that person feels like they're closer to you? Anybody ever said anything they shouldn't have said and watched the division come into the relationship? Anybody ever done that? You understand? Anybody ever said something to you that caused you to pull back? You know what I'm talking about? So words shape realities, words shape relationships. But not only do they shape relationships, they actually shape worlds. Jesus answered Mark 11, he says, have faith in God. It's so a dual translation, means not only faith in him, but of him. So have the faith in and of God. For assuredly I say to you, if whoever what? Whoever says, it doesn't say whoever wishfully thinks, whoever wishfully thinks, whoever sits around and contemplates, it will come to pass. Jesus said whoever says to the mountain, whoever speaks to the obstacles in their life, whoever declares the things of God into the world itself, be removed and cast into the sea and doesn't doubt, but understands this as a truth of the kingdom, it will come to pass. But believes that those things shall be done, it will happen. It will happen. Bible has a lot to say about what we say. Bible has a lot to say about how we say it. Whoever says to this mountain, Romans says, what shall we say to these things? Now what shall we consider about these things? What shall we say to it? This is a big point. Life talks to you, doesn't it? Yeah? Does life talk to you? Do your circumstances talk to you? Do your circumstances present an image to you? Does, it, does life tell you something about yourself or life tell you something about your future? Yeah. But you know what's the difference? The Bible tells you something about yourself and the Bible tells you something about your future. And as it says, as God sent the spies into the land of, of uh, Canaan in the book of Exodus and they came back, the essence of the story was whose report are you gonna believe? Are you gonna believe what the natural world is telling you? Or are you gonna be a person of the spirit and believe what the word of God is telling you? Where will your alliance go? Where will your allegiance be? And you say, oh, I believe the word of God, but you never confess his truths. You never declare his promises, so I would question whether or not you actually do. It's doing this big, I don't know, I've been on this journey. It's a cool journey, and I know there's gonna be a lot of fruit from it in the future, but um, something shifted in the, in the church, uh, probably around you know, a thousand years in, the church shifted away from its primary roots and became more of a philosophical movement. It became, it actually adopted, and the Pope actually just said this, 
our Pope's the Pope, not that I matter, not that the Pope matters, you know, Pope's just a dude. But he actually said something that's very reflective and indicative of where the church has been for probably the last, two, uh, last thousand years. He said the understanding of the gospel must be related to from the highest context of Greek, Greek understanding. That's what he's saying. And he said some form of that. And what he's actually saying is that when we understand the truths of the Bible, we have to apply them through human reasoning. We have to apply them through Greek understanding. About a thousand years ago, the, the church shifted. A church that was communal based and relationship based and unit based, where there was a very low value on the individual, shifted. And now it adopted a Greek perspective of the world. Greek perspective had a very high value of the individual, a very high value of human thought, a very high value of reasoning. And so the church adopted a method and a practice that said, if it doesn't make sense, we're not going to do it. Huh? Whereas that is not where the gospel was rooted. In the ancient world, it was rooted in community that said the individual does not matter. The collective whole is what matters. And I will sacrifice myself for the sake of the collective whole. Yeah. And they not only base their understanding, this is how the gospel moved for the first thousand years. And it stopped moving that way, and it's been moving in a different direction for the last thousand years. And we wonder why. And not only that, the early church for the first thousand years was not based on human reasoning. It was based on experiencing, experiential processes with God. That was what they were all about. I was just reading this really heady history book yesterday and, and uh, written by this guy, he's this big scholar. I don't even know if the guy's a Christian, but he's super smart, right? And it's one of those books, I don't know if you guys have read books at all. If you, leaders are readers, let's just say that together. Leaders are readers, okay? So you need to read. And it's one of those books that I have to be in the mood for to read because it's like really intense. You know what I'm saying? It's like one of those books when as soon as you get in, you're like, whoa, man, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Let me go back and read Archie comic books for a while, you know? I'm more in an Archie comic book mode than I am that. And so this book was saying that in the early church, particularly as the gospel moved to the east, the church was not, was church was not focused on individual thought and individual ways. And so when you say something like this in our modern world, that we are to declare the kingdom of God, that we are to speak the word of God into our circumstances, to our modern church that we've been indoctrinated with for a thousand years, that makes no sense. That makes no sense. And so we do not adopt it as a principle because we've been ingrained with the understanding that if it doesn't make sense, we're not going to do it. That's it. The whole point. There's actually a bishop. There was five centers of uh, global influence, Alexandria, Antioch, I'm not going to get them all, Jerusalem, uh, uh, Constantinople. In the ancient world, there were five centers of influence. The bishop of Egypt said, the gospel cannot be understood with human reasoning. It must be understood with the demonstration of power. Huh? This is probably 500 years after, after the gospel came into the world. He said, don't understand this with human reasoning. Understand it through the demonstration of the power that is given through the bishops. There was a Greek, there was a, an Indian sailor. He sailed the globe. And then he's history, he wrote a bunch of journals. And historians use his journals to understand the ancient world. He commented heavily on the early church. 
And he said, there was a region in this area, he, I can't remember the region, but he said, in this region, the bishops, that is the pastors or the leaders, perform miracles like Elijah the Tishbite. Early church, post-resurrection, the gospel was moving in power. So somehow along the way, we've denied the power and have adopted human reasoning. That if it doesn't make sense to us, we're not going to do it. Well, I don't know about that, Kevin. We're talking to the air here. You mean I'm supposed to talk to the air? Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, you're not only supposed to talk to the air, you're supposed to talk to yourself. You're supposed to speak over yourself and declare life over yourself because that's the creative power that God has given to the church. But it makes no sense to the natural mind. The gospel is foolishness to the Greek, a stumbling block to the, to the Jew. Whatever you say, number three, words direct. We put horses in bits mouths and they obey us. This is what the Bible's saying. You wanna read a book on the tongue and what we, how we talk and what words actually do? James is a good one. He doesn't pull any punches, he comes right at you. <laughs> James is a very direct book. It's not like, hey, if you love Jesus, he just comes and says, listen, pull it together, step up. That's how James talks. You are a Christian, stop doing that. <laughs> It says, we put bits in horses' mouths and they obey us and we turn their whole body. This is what he's saying. Words will direct your life. Look at ships. Although they are large, they're driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a small rudder wherever the, pi pirate or the pilot desires. Here's a statement for you. If you don't like the direction of your life, change the way you're talking. What's coming out of your mouth? What is coming out of your mouth? What is the attitude in which you're speaking from? What is that you're speaking into the direction of your life? What is it that you're believing about yourself that you're saying? The quality of your life is determined by the attitude of your words. The attitude and your words determines the quality of your life. And what does that look like? That looks like your internal dialogue. What are you saying about yourself? What are you believing about yourself? What is it that you're saying over yourself and declaring within you in your internal dialogue? Oh, I'm confused, I'm never gonna make it. I just feel like I'm just this, or this and that. Is that your internal dialogue? As your internal dialogue goes, I'm a son, I'm a follower of Christ, I am the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. I have the richness and the inheritance of the kingdom in me and upon me. Is that your internal dialogue? Your attitude and your words in prayer. Here's our attitude with prayer. Lord, would you, could you, should you? Would you, could you, should you, Jesus? Are you in a good mood? If you would, would you please? Would you kindly please do this? If you really are in a good mood, would you, would you, would you please? He doesn't tell us to pray like that at all. You're not beggars. You're not orphans. You're heirs. Huh? Say it with me. I am not an orphan. Say it like you mean it. I am not an orphan. You are an heir. Do not pray like an orphan. Pray like an heir. Jesus died to make you an heir. He didn't die to make you an orphan. That old thing on the cross was to make you something. That suffering was to transform you and turn you into something. Not diminish you, but elevate you. That's the whole point of the cross, was to restore you to the rightful position. Seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are not an orphan. Huh, anybody, any parents here? With adult children, oh, 
Carlos, when your daughter comes over, does she, does she have to ask, does she not just go in the refrigerator and make a sandwich if she feels like she's hungry? She says, Daddy, I'm hungry. We'll go and make something. He, he, may, he, may, he may be one of those dads that actually, you know, I have a friend, he like, oh, you're hungry, honey? And he starts doing handmade ravioli. I mean, I'm like, I think there's some bologna in there somewhere. <laughs> but your children don't have to ask you. They have access. You understand? They can actually just walk right in your house. And you don't see your kid walk in your house and go, what are you doing here? What do you mean what am I doing here? This is my house. I live here. It's the same attitude that we have. We have access to our father's house. And we have access to all that he has. And it's his joy when you understand it. He takes pleasure when you get it. He takes pleasure. He's like, that's my kid right there. Knows exactly who they are. He knows who's he, who they are. They don't act like beggars. They understand that they're heirs. They don't act like orphans. That's the point. We don't ask the Lord in prayer for something he's already done. This is why prayers aren't answered. Prayers aren't answered because we're asking the Lord for something that he's already done. We align with what he has done and we declare it. Yes, there are things we can ask him for, but there's a whole package of things that he's already done. You understand that? And if he's already done, we don't need to ask him for something he's already done. He's given it to you and he expects you to walk in it. He's given it to you and he expects you to manifest it. What shall we say to these things? It's one of the ways we manifest the kingdom. We let the enemy just encroach upon us. We let the enemy just ravage us. Like Gideon, totally ravaged. Eating green in a wine press. Wine press of fear. Not understanding his identity. Humbly, oh, I'm just, uh, low, I'm just hiding out here. In the wine press, hiding out here, angel shows up, man of valor. I'm sure he was looking over his shoulder. Me? He didn't know who he was. You know, he's, how many of you hide in a wine press and eat grain and you don't understand who you are? And you let the enemy constantly ravage you because you don't understand who you are. The angel didn't go and go, oh, lowly Gideon, I am here to build up your self-esteem. Lowly Gideon. I am here to take you up to the mountain. The angel showed up and declared his identity. He said to him as heaven saw him, man of valor. That's how heaven saw Gideon. He didn't try to coach him into his new identity. He spoke his new identity to Gideon and said, walk in what the Lord has declared you to be. Stop operating your life at such a low level. Stop accepting the grain and hiding in the well of a wine press. There was no wine in the land and there was no grain. And you know why there was no wine and there was no grain? Because he, the people were hiding. They, were, they didn't understand who they were. And they were not manifesting the kingdom as God would have them to do. Because they didn't understand who they were. Words of life. What are words of life? They're words of encouragement. What are words of life? Words of, of hope. So when we speak, if life and death is in the power of the tongue, then what do words of life look like? Great question. When you speak encouragement to each other, when you speak encouragement to yourself, hello, I tell this back in the early days of the church. I used to leave messages on my, on my cell phone. Come on, Kevin, don't quit, man. The revolution is on. Don't stop. I know there was three people and the offering was 30 bucks and you want to go buy bullets, but don't stop, man. The revolution is on. And I would just sit there and listen to it. Revolution is on. And try to pretend that it wasn't me saying it back to me. 
Words of encouragement are words of life, words of hope. There's a better tomorrow. God is for you. What can possibly hold you? You are undefeatable. Words of life, forgiveness, I forgive you. I forgive you. I release you of all debts owed to me. I forgive you. Words of wisdom are words of life. Words of correction. Correct a wise man and he will what? Love you. Correct a fool and they will despise you. So correction is words of life. Instruction is the words of life. When we instruct, when you're instructing and correcting your children, you are not not loving them. You're actually loving them when you correct them. You're actually loving them when you're instructing them. You're actually bringing life to them when you do such things. Words of faith are words of life. Declarative words of faith are words of life. Words of death, what does that look like? Well, I think we get this one pretty clear. Anger. Anybody ever say anything in anger? Anybody sent that email in anger? Let's just send that out right now. Facebook posts. Boom! Go on a campaign. Taking a social media campaign out there on your anger. Hatred. Malice. You know what malice is? It's basically getting back at somebody for something they did to you. That's what malice is. You do it maliciously. Somebody says something to you and you say something back to them. That's malice. It's hard. He's like, man, this is hard. Yeah, man. That's hard. Somebody says something to you, what's your first response? Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? <laughs> Slander is to misalign someone's character, to say something about someone from the character level that is not true. Slander. Jealousy. Words of jealousy. Gossip. Oh, <laughs> words of gossip. Talking about someone when they're not in the room. <laughs> Talking about them not in a healthy way, but discussing a problem to which you have not come to a resolve with. So when we're having discussions about people, places, and things, and you're a part of that, and no one's actually going to do anything about the discussion, that's called gossip. When you're discussing things about people, places, and things, and the person isn't present, that's called gossip. Okay? It's not called drama. Okay? It's not called a conversation. Everybody say it. It's called? Yeah, that's right. You guys are good. Words of judgment, judgmental attitudes, judgmental things spoken against people. Finalities. When we speak in finalities against people, that's a judgmental attitude. That's not of God. Condemnation. Something with Judas. God knew exactly what was, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen with Judas, but he didn't condemn him in, pre, in, in present form. You understand? He received Judas. He actually even washed Judas' feet. He received the kiss from Judas. He did not declare finality over Judas. He kept giving Judas a chance, even at the dinner table. He offered him a dipped cracker, which in Hebrew, that thing that he offered, that sop, went choice. So when he dipped it, he dipped it in the bitter and in the sweet, and he handed it to Judas. Judas, being a good Hebrew, would have understood that represented choice, life and death. So Jesus dipped the sop to whom I give the sop to. He's the one who betrayed me. So he dipped the sop. It's the double dip. And he handed it to him. Jesus, again, was offering him a choice, even though he knew what his choice would be. We speak words of condemnation. Those are words of death. And we speak words of doubt. Doubt in what sense? Doubt against the Lord. 
that is a problem. Words can destroy. Ouch! This is really cool because I think it's going to open up and make us see things a little differently. See how great a little forest fire kindles. Wow, that's pretty cool. And he says, where's the fire come from? The tongue is a fire. It comes from the tongue, all right? A world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. You ever said something bad and you start feeling how you feel what you said? You know what I mean? You feel even, not even, not even the regret sometimes. When you say things, you feel all the negative emotions of what you just said because your tongue defiles the whole body. It blesses the whole body as well. So when you speak, what's the first gift Jesus gave to the church? Acts 2. Anybody? The gift of? That's right. Why? <laughs> to edify the body. To build up the body. To sanctify the body. Because the tongue, without the spirit, corrupts the body. And corrupts the relationship. So the first thing Jesus did, sanctified the tongue. What about Isaiah? You guys know Isaiah? Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. And what happened? What did the angel do? Anybody know the story? Angel took the coal from the altar and did what? Touched his mouth. So before Isaiah could walk in the purposes of God, his lips had to be sanctified. His words had to be pure. Who will ascend to the hill of the Lord? Whose whips are undefiled. The tongue is a fire that's set among our members and set on course by nature. It is set on fire by hell. Okay? It's not your Irish personality that's setting your words on fire. I'm Cuban. This is why I say this. No. That's not what the Bible says. It's not because you're Cuban. It's not because you're Irish or Italian or Portuguese or whatever you are. You say it because those words do not come from the Lord. They come from the Spirit. They're manifested through our brokenness, through our inabilities. That's where that stuff comes from. Those words are not spoken from strength. They're spoken from weakness. Every kind of beast and bird and reptile of the sea has been tamed. But who can tame the tongue? No one can tame the tongue. It is of unruly evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless God, our Father, and we curse people. And we have been made in the likeness of God. So out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring of fresh water? Here he gives us an answer to the whole problem. Does a spring of fresh water and bitter water come from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives and grapevines at the same time? There's thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Beautiful things are destroyed by careless words, right? So he's talking about a forest. You ever see a beautiful forest? That forest is destroyed. We're verbal arsonists sometimes, right? We set people on fire with the words that we say, negatively and positively, right? I come up here, I speak by the Spirit. I ignite you because the Spirit is speaking. And so you burn, your soul, whoa, what's that? You feel the fire, you feel the passion, you feel everything opening up because it is the fire of God that is igniting you. And when we go the opposite way and we're speaking from the flesh and not from the spirit, we end up burning the house to the ground and burning down the forest. Ephesians says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. It's got a lot to say on the, on the tongue. This is just a, a small sampling <laughs> on what we need to do when we talk. It says, don't let anything that is corrupt come out of your mouth. If it's not good at edifying, if, it, if what's coming out of your mouth is not building people up, you know what it's saying? You know what I'm saying? I'm about to give it to you. I'll give, give it to you James style. It's saying, shut up. 
If what you're saying is not building someone up, only tearing them down, don't say it. And again, that's hard. Everybody say it. That's hard. That's, hard. that's exactly right. But nonetheless, this is what we're told. And we need to do this through the Spirit. That it ministers grace. In other words, if it's not imparting grace and forgiveness, it's not of God. That it may minister grace to the hearers and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So what's the indication? That when we do not speak edification, when we do not speak grace, what do we do? We grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actually turns. It's like, ugh. In other words, he's not operating with that. And here's a question. This is, these, are in, these are insightful questions. Okay? And some of this stuff's going to probably be convicting. That's okay. Everybody say this with me. Repentance is good. Okay? It cleanses you. It cleanses you. So when you see this and you're like, oh my gosh, I did that. Oh my gosh, I just really yelled this morning on my way here. This is bad. Did Jesus know I did that? Is this why this is being said? <laughs> Here's the question. Are the words you're speaking corrupting about others? Are the words you're speaking corrupting about yourself? Are the words you're speaking painting a picture about God that is not true according to his word? Lord, I repent. Let's just say it together. Lord, I'll help you out. We'll do some group therapy here. Jesus, I repent for every corrupt word that has come out of my mouth against others, against myself, and against you. Holy Spirit, Cleanse me, Holy Spirit, set my words apart that I would speak life and not death. And when I am tempted to speak death, you shut my mouth. I give you permission. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Says words of death come from hell. Does a spring send forth bitter water or good water? Does a fig tree give olives or fig? If it's a fig tree, can it give forth olives? And that's just what it's saying on the next slide. And it says, so what are you putting into the well? So what it's telling you here is James is saying, whatever it is you're putting in the well is what's coming out of the well. So whatever water you're putting into you, what are you receiving? What messages are you hearing? You know, are you a news junkie? So everything in the world is pessimistic and down? And oh my gosh, did you know this? Did you know this? Did you know this? Man, dude, if I watch the news, it freaks me out. It literally freaks me out if I watch it too much. Why? Because I'm putting the wrong thing in the well. So whatever you're putting in the well, here's another one for you, okay? I've been feeling quite romantic towards my wife lately. And she's kind of like, wow, what's going on with you? Right? Not that I always don't feel romantic towards my wife, but let's just say there's been an enhancement in my feelings of romance. And I was thinking, wow, what's going on with me? You know what I've been listening to? I know it sounds really corny and really, really nuts, right? I was listening to all these like 70s love songs. <laughs> I spent a whole day and I was listening to all these like folk songs and love songs and don't go baby, come back, you know? And so I was filling myself with that and all of a sudden I was like, hey Cher. What's going on? She, um, she walks in the door. I'm kissing her. I'm hugging her. She's like, whoa, what's going on here? And she didn't respond immediately, but then she comes back later and she's like, 
I kind of like that little thing you did there this <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> I was, and I was thinking about it, and I was putting all this stuff in me. So what you put into you is what's coming out of you. Your perspective matters. What you feel yourself matters. So he's not only saying what you put into you comes out of you. He's saying, what are you rooted in? Because a tree produces according to its roots. And so if you're rooted in the wrong things and you're rooted in the wrong beliefs, you're going to produce the wrong things and produce the wrong beliefs. That's what he's saying. So if you want to shift it, fill yourself with different things. If you want to shift it, stop rooting yourself in the wrong places and root yourself in the right places. Shift it. Words reveal. I don't know if you know this, your, your heart has a tattletale. And it's just the, on the other side of your two lips right here. Your heart, your tongue is a tattletale upon your heart. Jesus says a good man brings out of good things from his heart. An evil man brings out of evil things from his heart. There's our whole well concept again. What we're putting into us is what comes out of us. For out of the abundance of the heart, that's what we speak. We speak what our heart is full of. So if we want to change what we're speaking, we have to fill ourselves with different things. I love this because I, I experience this all the time. See, I know this stuff. And that's like, oh, Kevin, you know it. No, it, there's a, everybody knows there's a difference between knowing it and actually applying it. Yeah. Do we know that? Well, you actually got it. I know this, and so when I try to apply it, I feel the resistance to it, right? I need to fill myself with the word of God. I need to hear worship. I need to do these things. And everything in me goes, no, you don't. But my spirit is saying, yes, you do. And I'm like, no, I don't. Yes, you do. And so I have to crucify my flesh. I have to shoot that dude. And I have to move into the arena that God would have me. Huh? Some of you, you're self-condemning because you feel like you don't want to do the things that God is telling you to do. That want is not your true nature. Your spirit wants to. That's your fallen nature. And that's the enemy trying to keep you as a slave so that you can't walk in freedom. So just because you feel resistance to it doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. Or it doesn't mean you're a failure as a Christian. That's not what it means at all. It just means you need to learn to crucify the flesh. That's what it means. How many knows crucifying the flesh is not easy? But the Bible tells us to put the flesh to death and it uses the word crucify the flesh. It's the word excruciating. Excruciating means very painful. It's very painful to kill your will. It's very painful to kill what you want. Right? Anybody here? Am I the only one that experiences this? Okay. So it's very painful. All right. So what do we do? Let's give some remedies here. Right? Guard your heart. That's number one. Guard the conversations that you are listening to. One of the things that happens, when, with, particularly with gossip or slander, if I talk about Wayne and stand here, if I bless Wayne and I say, man, that guy's awesome, he's amazing, he's super cool, and I just keep saying all this other stuff, what is your perspective of Wayne going to be? You're going to be like, wow, that guy's awesome, he's amazing. I just heard nothing but good things about him. Now I'm not going to pick on you, Wayne, so don't get mad at me. He knows jujitsu, so i got to be careful here. He may spring up off the chair at me. So... If I sit there and I say all these negative things about Wayne and all I'm doing is talking negatively about him, what's your perspective of him going to be? That's right. If I say, oh, he's irresponsible and yeah, that guy, he this and he that and he does all this and he does all that, your perspective of him is going to be different, isn't it? Am I right or wrong? Have anybody ever had them do that to you? Have you ever had it done to you? Then don't do it to others because you know the pain of that. 
And so what it's saying is when you're part of these negative conversations where someone, somewhere, something is being torn down, walk away. Say, I want nothing to do with this. This conversation is not of God. And you're like, but I'm talking to my friends. They might get embarrassed. Let them get embarrassed. Let them be shamed for the words that come out of their mouth. Let them be shamed for the speech that they're speaking. Let them be shamed. I'm not dealing with this. I'm not talking about this. I don't want to be a part of this. There's no, nothing constructive that we're discussing here. I don't want to be a part of this. And walk away. Guard your heart. What does it mean? When something's coming out of you, this is what they do in addictions counseling. They give you the word halt. Anybody ever heard that before? Yeah? You say, I don't want to raise my hand because then they think it's like, I've been in addictions counseling. So <laughs> join the party, man. We're all screwed up. Halt. Are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Are you tired? These are the things that come out of our mouths the things that we're hungry for. We're saying something that we're actually hungry for. We're missing something. Are we angry about something? When you're angry, you gotta back up and check your anger. What's the root of my anger? Why am I angry? What's the point here? And then go forward. Are you lonely? Is there something missing? Do you not feel loved? Is that why you're speaking against people? Is that why you're tearing at people around you? Because you don't feel lonely or because you feel lonely and you feel unloved, right? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Are you tired? Is it just a bad day? You know, you're worn out, just tired, right? I say this to ladies all the time, like give the guy a break, okay? If he just worked 12 hours and you wanna have that conversation and he says not now, give him a break, all right? Because he's probably not gonna say anything good because he's tired and his, his margin is very low, right? So we have to know that. We have to guard our heart, protect the conversations and the things that we're involved in. Know what gossip and slander and malice is. A lot of people, they don't know what's like. And here's our, this is our modern world. Oh, it, I'm just, we were just talking about drama, you know, and that's the whole point. We, we've reframed things to actually kind of justify it and we can't justify it. We can't. We have to understand what it is and we have to want no part of it, right? We have, I want no part of it. I want no part in tearing people down. I want no part in talking about rumors. I want no part of it. I want no part of it. I want no part of this. Number three, and let's say this together because this is important. Increase your vocabulary. There's a study of violent offenders, people and men and women in particular, men in particular, who perpetrate violence, who are violent against society, against themselves and against others. And what they discovered is that they have uh, one third of the vocabulary of the average person. What does that tell you? It means they have no other means to communicate other than through violence. And so when you're acting out in certain ways, it usually means you're very deficient in how you communicate. It usually means you don't have the language to express how you feel. And so you're acting out in violence. And so one of the ways that we overcome that or frustration or whatever it may be, but one of the ways we overcome that is we increase our vocabulary. Learn words, learn to express yourself. Listen how people express themselves. Some of you, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, the topics I'm not really up on all the time, but sometimes watching, I'm gonna advocate Dr. Phil reluctantly, okay? But what's healthy about Dr. Phil is that you'll watch how, what, what, how he leads people through communication and how he creates healthy dialogue. Now I know a lot of it's done for TV and a lot of it's done for show and drama and all this other stuff and not all the topics are centered in God's economy, but what helps you is you begin to learn and understand if you're unhealthy in how people talk, you watch how he creates that. 
You watch how he corrects anger and brings, you know, there's certain things that he does that are correct. And again, I'm, I'm cautiously advocating that. I'm just simply trying to give you a tool to use, okay? That's all I'm trying to do is help you. Learn words. Read books on communication. Last two. Confess the promises. Begin to speak life and not death. Confess the prom promises over your life. Confess the promises over your marriage. Confess the promises over your children. Confess the promises over your future. Confess the promises over your finances. Confess the promises. Having a bad time? Don't feel like God's providing for you? I just declare right now that the bread is for the children. Jesus, you said the bread is for the children. Lord, you said you would give nations for my ransom. I just declare right now that job that you have for me that is my daily bread. Lord, please let me have a job. Please, please give me a job. Please give me a job. Okay, you've asked. It's his will that you work. Okay, well, you know that. It's his will that you be provided for. That's his will. So we ask according to his will. And now speak it. Now begin to declare it. That's actually the shift of faith. When you begin to agree with him, you've shifted in faith and you know, and now you're speaking it. It's a whole other thing. But intentionally speak positively. These are some tips. Somebody said, put a watch over your mouth. Intentionally speak positive. Stop yourself and go, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say something positive. I'm going to say something that's the opposite of what I really want to say. Intentionally speak positive and intentionally bless. Here's a big one. Ready? Let's just, we'll end with this. Proverbs 18.23. We'll say it together. Whoever guards their mouth and their tongue keeps their soul from trouble. Right? <laughs> hey, we're going to close here. If you are here this morning, so this is a little sample, a little precursor to kind of where we're going to discuss. And what we're going to do, what I, the reason that I want, to, I want to spend a little time on this is that we've got to create healthy relationships. We have to create healthy words. We have to create these things moving forward because this is such an intricate part of our life and what we're supposed to do. So words do matter and words have power. And you can actually affect your workplace, you can affect your family, you can affect, affect your uh, neighborhoods, you can affect all, affect all of your relationships simply by understanding words of life and words of power. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, today is your day. We're going to close with two simple prayers. One is a prayer of invitation, and the last one is a prayer of blessing. And the first one is an invitation. If you've never given your heart to Christ, I want to invite you to do so. And all we ask you to do is simply pray. We're going to pray together as a group. We're going to pray together. Everyone's going to pray. And all I want you to do is participate in the prayer. And the way you participate is pray it, but also open your heart and receive. You say, that's it? Pretty much. Not with your head, it's with your heart. So we're going to pray together. Let's pray this out. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. And I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. All right, let me bless you.
say, man, if you did that this morning, this is your first time and you've never done that, let me know before you leave or let the person you came with know. Tell someone. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And let me put blessing on you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he give you peace in Jesus' name. All right, God.